Good to see you guys. All right. Busan in the house. Yup, yup. If you're from Busan, let them see you stand up and say what's up. We have all introverts in our campus except for me and my wife. We're the only extroverts in our whole church. So it's like there's a lot of us like on Sundays, we're like clowns and everybody's just like, oh. Good to see you guys. It's so dark. Can we turn the lights on? Is it like, do, do you want to keep it this dark or? Oh, you kind of like it? Okay. I, I like it. It makes me feel like I'm like some kind of like, you know, musician or something, you know? Just me. Uh, I just want to welcome you guys to the retreat. It's, it's good to see you guys. I, I, I know some of you guys know who I am. Some of you guys don't. My name is Caleb. I'm uh, from the Busan campus. If you guys didn't know, there is a, another New Philly campus in Busan. Uh, we've been there for 10 years now. It's crazy, right? I mean, uh, my wife and I, Mina, she's the other campus pastor. Say what's up. Um, she, we're, we've been married for 10 years. And crazy thing is we started our campus like 10 days after we got married. So we got married on December 17th, which is next, this, this weekend, right? We're going to go to Jeju without, a, without the kids. We're leaving the kids with Molly and, and Katie. So pray for them, right? Pray for Molly and Katie because Molly is going to come from Poang and then Molly, I mean, uh, Katie's going to come from Poang and Molly's going to stay over at our house and they're going to watch the kids. And then me and my wife, we're going to go to Jeju and do what married people like to do, right? Wow, yeah. So, um, is, and we started our campus like right after we got married. We got married on the 17th. We moved down to Busan, I think January 1 of 2012, and uh, it's been 10 years, we've been there for 10 years, it's been a blessing to be a part of uh, just this journey, and so, uh, and the Busan campus, we got super blessed, you guys, uh, the Seoul campus donated, I believe, 2.3 million won, right, that's a lot of money, you guys were able to raise to help us to uh, come to this retreat for free, um, and, and, you know, even, like, help out with some of the, the flights and stuff like that. I know you guys can just take a subway here. We have to fly up here or, you know, K- KTX or whatever we have to do. And so this is, that's a blessing. We're so thankful. Let's, let's give you guys a hand, man. That's a, I, I was so blessed when I heard that. I, and, and when Susie asked me if I could preach, I felt very honored uh, to be up here in front of you guys to give you guys the word. Uh, it's, it's, it's a family, right? I feel like every time I come to Seoul and I'm with you guys, I feel like we're just one big family, and it's such a blessing to be here. Um, uh, my, my message today uh, is kind of all over the place. <laughs> I just got done with my finals, and so it's, it's kind of all over the place. But, uh, you know, what, what, what I really kind of was expecting was like, a, you know, like how in the past there was like this, there was a theme, and there was a passage, and there were like banners everywhere, right? I thought that's what it was going to be, right? But in my mind, but then Susie, I, I, I texted Susie. I was like, hey, Susie, is there a passage? And she's like, oh, I'll get around to it. You know, like, so I'll let you know soon. And she let me know this week. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and so it's Genesis 26. So I'm not going to preach out of Genesis 26. Susie's going to preach tonight. And she's also going to preach tomorrow on Sunday out of Genesis 26. But I just kind of want to kind of give you guys an impression of my heart of what this passage kind of meant to me, and it comes from Genesis 26. Um, there's a famine in the land, and Isaac is the son of Abraham. Um, God tells him, don't go to Egypt, but go down uh, to where I send you. He'd send them to this land called Gerar, right? And uh, he's down there, and, you know, like, he kind of makes the same mistake that his dad did. You know, like, he, they're like, 
you know, the, the, the Philistines are like, hey, what's up with your girl? She's really good looking. And then she's like, oh, that's my sister, right? Um, he's like, you know, Rebecca is my sister because he, fear, he fears for his life. He feels, he's like, if, if he says this is my wife, they're going to kill him and take her as, his, as their wife. And so um, you know, he, he kind of makes the same mistake that his, his father does. And he's like, oh, this is my sister. And then uh, there's this, the king of the Philistine named Abimelech. He's looking out the window, right? And then uh, he, sees, um, he sees Isaac and Rebekah. And then the Bible says that they were laughing, that Isaac was laughing with Rebekah, right? But then that word in the Hebrew is, is called sahak, right? And Abimelech, Abimelech knows that, like, you don't sahak with your sister, right? It's like, it's this intimate term that you, you're not, you know, like, when he saw it, he's like, he knew right away, oh, that's not his sister, right? That, that's his wife. And so he, call, he calls up uh, Isaac and he's like, hey, man, why, why do you lie to me, right? Why did you say that, you know, she was your sister when she's, he's, she's actually your wife? And so he's like, oh, I fear for my life. I thought you guys were going to kill me. And then, um, and then, and then so Abimelech t- makes a proclamation throughout the land. And he basically tells them that if anybody, like, like you know, bothers Isaac or his wife, right, he, they're going to be put to death. So we see this favor of the Lord. Uh, that is upon um, Isaac, and it basically is like God uses his stupidity to bless him, right? And that's like the story of my life, right? <laughs> the story of my life is God used every stupid mistake that I've made in my life to bless me. And so when I read that, I was like, oh, that's, that's a good one. But then it, this is where the, the, the word of the Lord really kind of came for all of us that was on the staff. And it says that Isaac sold and reaped a hundredfold, right? And the Bible says that he became a very rich man, right? And Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, he's like, hey, you're mightier than us. I want you guys to go. You know, you guys are, you know, uh, you, got, you guys seem to be, you know, blessed a lot more. And so Isaac takes off and goes to the valley of Gerar, and he starts to dig up his father's wells, right? Abraham, you know, back then, wells were very important areas, right? Like life began in, in and it was the center of life was like in these wells, right? If you find water, you want to stay, in, you know, near that water. And so... He went, and, and the Philistine had buried all these wells. They had let them run dry, and they had filled them with uh, rocks and sand. And so Isaac starts to dig up these wells of his father's, and he's going to name them the same names that his father had named them. So he goes to the first place, and he starts to dig, and then he finds water, right? And then all of a sudden, the people that are in the line is like, hey, that's not your water. Like, get your hands off our water. That's our water, right? Like, like how dare you get over here? And then they start to fight over this well, and so Isaac names it uh, Essek, which means contention, right? Contention. And then he goes to another well, and he starts to dig it up. And then all of a sudden, he finds water, right? So water. And so he, he, he finds water. He's about to settle down. And then the, the people come again, and they're like, hey, that's not, that's not your well. That's our well, right? It's on our land. You guys can't take it. And so they start to fight over this well. And so he names it Sitna, which means enmity, right? Enmity. And he goes to the third well. And he starts to dig, and he finds water once again. And in the third well, he looks around, and nobody is bothering them. Right? Nobody's quarreling with them. And so he names it Rehoboth, which means broad and wide and open spaces. And the word that Susie got, I believe that Jacob also got this, is that, you know, is this word of this open spaces, right? open spaces, you know, and peace. And then, and then uh, Isaac says, for now the Lord has made room for us. And we shall be fruitful in the land. And I believe that we are in the season of Rehoboth for New Philly, right? Open spaces right? and fruitfulness. 
And especially the word I got is that I feel that God wants us to find and dig up what, what he had done in the past. He wants us to go and find and dig up the wells that he had given us in the past. Um, in our church history, right? you know that you guys are a part of a pretty long church history. Right? New Philly started way back in 2008. Even actually goes before that, all the way down to like 2015 when we were called JSCM. And remember that God, it was God that gave those wells and not man. Right? We have to remember that. That whatever happened in the past, it was not man made. Right? Whatever blessings or whatever like good things that came in the past, it did not come from a man. It came from God. And God wants us to drink from these wells once more. And like I mentioned, we come from a pretty long history. right? For a church to be about 15, almost 20 years old, not 20 years old, maybe about like 16, 17 years old. Um, we come from a pretty long history. And what I miss from our church's history are the moves of the Holy Spirit. I know that Susie has been preaching on the Holy Spirit. I, we, we've also been preaching on the Holy Spirit in Busan. And uh, I, what, the one I really miss from our church history is are the moves of the Holy Spirit. We come from a history where, man, like there would be a, a, a preacher not a particularly good preacher, preaching about some random thing, and all of a sudden, just people would just start to weep in the congregation. They'd be like, ah! We're like, what's going on? Newcomer is like, oh, this is a cult! <laughs> right? But then people were getting set free. Like me and my wife, right? I, I was out of my ex-con. I went to prison for four years, right? I was hooked on drugs. I came to Korea. I got deported out of America, right? I'm trying to get back. I'm trying to visit America again. Pray for me, Right? We, we come from this crazy path. My wife was a, was a, was a, I, I use this term because it's like an old timey way to cut it, but she used to be a flucy, right? She was like, she used to be promiscuous. She used to go to clubs and make out with dudes and stuff like that and do, you know, bad things. We come from this kind of background and then we came to New Philly and dude, we got transformed, right? And it wasn't man that transformed us. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, right? I like, I remember sitting through services where God was just like, I just felt the power of God on me. I was like, oh, you know, we would cry, we would weep. And, and, and we can tell that it was not, we, we didn't come for the people, we didn't come for the sanctuary, we didn't come for anything, we came for God. Right? And, and the peak of our church, I believe, was not our grand retreats, right? We used to have these amazing retreats. I don't know if you've ever been to one. Willie Hilly. Right, he said, have, remember those things that those big old we cover up the walls with the like the Bible passages and we the hip hop dancers up here, you know, doing like you know, you know all that stuff and we would do like you know the, our grand retreat. I believe the peak of our church was not our grand retreats or when we were, had six campuses in two countries. The peak, I believe, and it's it's according to God, was when we were in this old Korean church in Chile. You know, the ghetto of Seoul. Shilim, and if you live in Shilim, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I just offended your neighborhood, right? But it's like, it's like the ghetto of Seoul. We had to walk like 20 minutes just to get up to church. And when we get to church, we had to walk up like five flights of stairs. I believe that that was the peak of our church because we were humble. It was a time of small beginnings. But most importantly, we were hungry for God. People weren't coming to like experience these amazing professional services. They were coming because they, they felt the Holy Spirit. I remember one time me and Mina had 
already moved to Busan, and we came back, and we, we went back to that sanctuary, and I remember walking in, and it had these big, it's like an old church, but it had these, like, really high ceilings, and I remember entering, and then the people were worshiping, and, you know, and our church, you know, did not, we didn't have a, like, a very good praise leader, right? He was tone deaf, and he had no rhythm, right? You know, our original, one of our original praise leaders, right, we've had, we come from a history of Brian Kim praise leaders, right? And he will tell you that he was tone deaf. And he had no rhythm, right? But then he had the anointing of the Lord was on this guy. And, then, and we, I remember walking in and we're like, oh, this is the glory of the Lord is in this place. right? And it was when we were in, in, in that old sanctuary. And we were really encountering God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe what really set us apart back then to where we had become before our church kind of went off the rails. Was that back then we had hunger. We had a hunger for the Lord. And today I want to talk to you guys about hunger. But not just about hunger, but about a spiritual truth that must accompany hunger. And it's called expectation. Expectation. True hunger comes with expectation to be fed. Like when when our kids are hungry, I can tell when they're hungry, they get hangry, right? But, But there's an expectation that they're going to get fed, right? They, they expect it because they know, what? That I'm a decent dad, right? <laughs> Not a great dad. At least I'll feed my kids, right? But if we have a God who loves us and is, is so for us, we have to be expectant of the Lord. We have to expect God to move. Hunger is good, but hunger with expectation is a place of faith, right? So today I want to give you guys a couple of examples of people that had a hunger and an expectation for the Lord and the powerful encounters they had because of it. And I want you guys to turn to Mark 5. I'll read it to you guys. Verse 25 to 34. You guys like, like my hoodie? Yeah. I like this because it's so big. It makes me feel small. right? I actually feel a little thin in this, right? If you guys want one right here, just ask Homyoung. Great hoodies. Shout out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe next time I can get a discount. I got one. Yes, I got one. Thank you, Homyoung. So verse 25, it says, There was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she had said, if I touch even his garments, it will be made, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving it in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And he healed and be healed of your disease. Um. The issue of blood, right? She had not only to deal 
with this sickness, this, this disease that she had for 12 years. But she also had to carry the stigma of, of, of this, what this carried, right? And the stigma of what this carried was that she was unclean. Right? Under Mosaic law, a woman with an issue of blood, referring to like a menstrual cycle or postpartum bleeding, was considered unclean and was set apart for seven days. During this time, anything she lay on or sat on was considered unclean, meaning that if anyone touched one of the things that she would have to wash his clothes and bathe in water to become clean again, also during this time, if any man was sexually intimate with her, he was also unclean for seven days and must adhere to the same sort of set, setting apart as the woman. Um, ladies, thank God for the new covenant. Amen, right? Hallelujah, right? Because, you know, when you get single, single guys, you don't really know yet. But when you get married, you start to you realize, hey, it's just a part of life, right? But the Mosaic law was specified that if a woman had this issue of blood, right, that she was considered unclean, right? And she had to be set apart, right? And she couldn't like, you know, and so every month a woman, right, you know, it happens once a month, was considered unclean and had to be set apart for seven days. But this woman had the same issue of blood for 12 years straight. And so in Leviticus 15.25, it says that if a woman's issue of blood lasts more than seven days, she will be considered unclean for all of the days that this issue lasts. And so she was basically considered unclean for the past 12 years of her life. Right? If she had been married, her husband would probably have divorced her. And would have been, you know, she wouldn't have to be able to have any kind of kids or children. And if she did, you know, they would be, she couldn't really care for them because they'd be considered unclean. So her unclean status would have meant that she was probably like unable to attend any kind of worship service. And that she was, had to be set apart from the rest of the population. Whoa. I'm sorry, Lord. It's the light of the Lord. Um, for, for 12 years, right? For 12 years. This woman was basically a pariah. She was a leper, in a sense. She can't have a husband. You know, she can't even probably have kids. She's unclean and she's an outcast. She's gone to countless physicians, countless doctors, asking and giving her all of her money, but none of them were able to help her. And somewhere along this 12 years of this issue, she probably had lost hope. You kind of, when you have this kind of thing in your life, you kind of lose hope. And then she hears about Jesus. Right? And not only does hope rise up in her, right? This hope rises up, but this faith and this expectation rises up in this woman. That she, if she, as long as she can encounter this person, Jesus, as long as she can encounter Jesus in some way, that, that everything is going to be all right. I need this man. He is the answer. He is the truth. I need him. And she was hungry. She was, and not only that, but she was expectant. Do you see the expectation that she has in her heart? As she's approaching, she's like, I know. I already know that if I can touch this man, right, in any way, shape, or form, that I'm going to be made well. Right? That's more than just hunger, guys. There's an expectation there. And so she fights her way through the crowd, you know. And she's all trying to get to the front. And she goes and she just touches the hem of... Him of his, his garment. And then she's like, oh, she's made well. She didn't even know it, but she was reaching out for God. She's like, oh, 
She, she, she was reaching out for the gospel. She's like, I, if I can touch this man, I will be made well. And then Jesus is like, you know, like, who, 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 who touched me? Right? I could feel power leaving. And his disciples are like, what are you talking about, dude? There's all these people around you. Everybody's touching you. And he's like, no, I specifically felt power leave, leave me. And then the woman's like, it was me. I, I, it was me that had touched you. And then she, he says, your faith has made you well. It's like your faith and your expectation has made you well. Your hunger and expectancy can move God to action. A lot of times we have hunger, but we don't have expectations. A lot of times I cry out to God. I'm like, God, help me, Lord. Right? When, I, when I need something, for God, oh, God, help me, Lord. Or, you know? A lot of times we have hunger, but we don't have expectation. But that's the, that's the place of faith. Do you guys understand? That when we come together like this and we want to encounter God, right? we pray and we cry out, but we have to have an expectation in our heart that we will encounter God. And I want to ask you today, do you have that expectation? Do you have an expectation to actually encounter the power and the, the majesty and the glory of Jesus I want to give you guys another example, and he's, he's, an, he's a guy by the name of Cornelius. Right? I love that name, right? Cornelius, and it comes from Acts 10, and it says, "If you guys turn to Acts 10, I'll read it to you guys." At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So he's Italian, so he, he did a lot of this, right? <laughs> a devout man who feared God with all of his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continuously to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he, started, he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So in Acts 10, we, we see this, this person named Cornelius. And, and he's a Gentile, right? He's not a Jew. Jews had nothing to do with Gentiles. You know, it was just very, like, segregated back then. He was Italian, but he was actually stationed in Caesarea. He's from Rome, right? Italian, you know, Rome. But he was stationed in Caesarea. He was a Roman centurion, right? Meaning he was in charge of a hundred men at least. And and eighty fighting soldiers and twenty military servants. Six centuries or six hundred men would make up a cohort, and the senior ranking centurion would lead that cohort, right? Um, I assume that Cornelius was high ranking officer, maybe in, in charge of this whole cohort. Because although he was from Rome and he's stationed in Caesarea, he actually has his whole family with him. It says that his, his relatives were with him when we read later on. So centurions, just a little history lessons, were enlisted men that rose through the ranks of the Roman army for 15 to 20 years. It took 15 to 20 years and you had to survive, right? You go to war and you die, that's over, right? But you had to stay alive for 15 to 20 years in these battles. And so by the time that Cornelius had become a centurion. He was probably like a fairly old man, maybe in his 40s, maybe a little older. And although a few would become centurions through like bribes and like dishonest means, 
The ones that really lasted went up the ranks and they became hardened, battle-tested men. Right? They became like, like they're like, you know, if, if it was like the American Army, it would be like the Navy SEALs, right? You know, they, they were, they've gone through war. They've gone, had experience of fighting and killing. And he probably killed a lot of people in his life, right? Doing all that battle and killing. The Roman army, the Romans had taken over just almost all of the known world at that time, right? Was, their empire was quite large. And so that means you do that. You don't do that with, you know, like politics. You do that with army men, right? You do that with soldiers, with swords that kill people, right? That's how you take over lands, right? And so he was a, he was a very battle-tested, hardened man. He's probably a man of honor or a man of character, because that kind of shines through when you read his, about his story. As a leader, you have two ways to lead. You can either lead with fear or you can lead with honor. Right? You know, like you, there's, there's people that will lead with fear. But then you, you watch like you know, Saving Private Ryan. Who's seen that movie? I cried, dude, like a baby. Right? And those, like, uh, you know, those men, they, 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 they lead with, with honor and glory and character. Right? You, could, you can either lead with fear and like, you know... Just manipulation, or you can lead with honor. And I believe this Cornelius was a man that led with honor. And when when somebody is subject to like war and killing and being in this kind of situation for a long time, you either become a warmonger. You know what a warmonger is? Somebody that just loves to war, fight and kill and do all that. Or you become somebody that's starting to, to look out for truth. Right? When you've gone through like... The, the crap. I don't want to say bad words up here, right? If you've been in the trenches, right, you, you, you start to, and you've almost died countless times, and you've killed people countless times, you start to look for like, hey, I, I need to find some kind of truth in my life. And when I read this book, Acts 10, there's so much of that comes through in this man. He's, he's, he's looking for something. He's looking for redemption, right? He's looking for truth to find meaning in this world. And I believe that Cornelius was this kind of man. You know, other centurions in the New Testament, they're always mentioned in positive ways. I believe it's because they have this characteristic about them. Right? Matthew 8, the servant, you know, who, whose servant was ill, right? And Jesus you know, tells him, Truly I tell, tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. Talking about a centurion, right? Mark 15, you know, the centurion is there when Jesus finally dies, right? And he said, truly, this was the Son of God, right? And so these centurions are always in the New Testament kind of like, like depicted in positive ways because they, I believe that one of the reasons is because these are men of character. You can't go through war and fighting and doing all that without actually coming out, you know, like, like with, with character and, and actually trying to seek and find some kind of redemption in their life. Spending many years in war and killing, they were searching for something. They were searching for truth. And when they, when they saw it, they recognized it. And, and I believe this was Cornelius. Cornelius was a man, right? And he'd gone through all of the you know, craziness of war and battles. And he's like, oh, there, has to be, there has to be more in this world. And so what did Cornelius become? It says in the, in the Bible, it says he, in verse 2, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continuously, continuously to God. You know, all Roman soldiers worshipped the Roman god Mars, right? 
So, you know, there's, there, there's a, Romans had a lot of different gods. But in particular, the Romans' army worshipped the, um, the god of Mars, right? There were festivals and rituals to honor Mars. And, but part, in particular, the, the Roman army was, was very, um, like, like, known to be a worshipper of Mars. And it was very important to them. But somewhere along Cornelius' military career, he realized that Mars... And all these woman gods were just statues. And in his search for truth and redemption, he had found the God of the Hebrews. He'd found the God of the Jews. The God of the, that, that, the, the these, some Jewish person probably he met, told him about the God that he, they worship. And he's like, oh. he's like, I, I recognize that I recognize the truth behind your God. He had become what was known in the New Testament as a God-fearer. And all throughout the New Testament, you see this term, God-fearer. And these were not ethnically Jewish people, but they revered the God of the Hebrews. There's a lot of, there's a lot of mention, especially in the book of Acts, of people that were God-fearers. They're not Jews, right? But, but they, they recognize the, the validity and the reality of the God of the Hebrews. And it wasn't just him. He got his whole family involved, right? He's from Italy, but he has his whole family there. So, you know, like, like you know, he, he, he's not just like, like thinking like, oh, you know, is, I, I believe in this. He's getting other people. He, he even got like some of his soldiers involved because he sends one of the soldiers that, that's like the fearer of God, right? And right here, we, are, we see something that's very important that we need to see is that he, that Cornelius did not have a fear of man. But he had a fear of God. Right? He, didn't, he, 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 didn't, he didn't fear men. Because he probably killed a bunch of them. Right? But he feared God. When, when he recognized the God of the Hebrews, he's like, oh, that, that is God. And I fear him. And it wasn't a personal secret thing, right? Where he just like, everybody else is worshiping mars and having these rituals and he's all just kind of quietly listening he got it he got his family involved he got his friends involved he got he got he got his his the men in his army involved are you getting a picture of who cornelius kind of is right are you getting a, a broader picture of this man cornelius and this man is searching for more he's searching he has an expectation to experience more and he says that he prayed to god continuously and gave gave alms generously He's like, I know that there is more. I know that I can, I know that there's more out there, right? I know God is real. I could feel him, right? And he, when he prays, he can, he can sense him. And he's developed a hunger and an expectation for the, the, the truth of God and the realities of God. And this hunger is building. And he's praying and he's praying. And he starts praying to God that, that this God that he doesn't even really fully understand or know. But his heart is there, and, and, he, and he, he expects more. He has blood on his hands. He wants redemption, and he's seeking out. He's like, oh, this is Mars. I've been praying to Mars for decades. And this is just a statue. And this God of the Hebrews, he, there's, there's, there's truth behind it. And 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 then and he hears about Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of the God of the Jews. And then he starts to get his whole family involved. Right? He, he gets you know his children, 
his relatives, it says his relatives, and his, and his army buddies, and he's getting everybody, and they're all getting, starting to understand and pray to the God of the Hebrews. And he's praying, and, he, and he's hungry, and an angel of the Lord appears to Cornelius and says, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. That word memorial in the Greek, it's translated as which one remembers or which evokes a memory, right? So in other words, it's saying that your prayers and your arms have evoked God to remember you. Your prayers and your hunger and your expectation has caused God to remember you. And Cornelius' prayers and his generosity, ultimately his hunger, got God's attention. Not only his attention, but moves God to action. Brothers and sisters, our hunger can move God to take, not just take notice of us, but move Him to action. So what does God do, right? God, right, he, God he, He's up in heaven and He's like, oh, it's Cornelius, right? This, this Cornelius, I, 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 can't, I, I can't get over this guy. This guy's constantly praying to me. You know, I, I, I sense his heart. His heart is, is seeking for more. He wants to encounter me. And so he, he goes, God appears to, to, to Peter. And Peter, you know, he, he's, he's traveling. He's hungry. You know, he's, he goes up on top of the roof. He takes a nap, you know. And then he gets this vision of this, like, sheet that comes down from heaven. There's all these kind of animals. All kinds of four, four-legged animals and reptiles and birds. And, you know, Jews don't eat no reptiles, right? They don't even eat, like, lobster. And lobster is delicious, right? So Peter wakes up, he's like, oh, you know, like, I can't eat that. And, and he hears his voice, he's like, Peter. He says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he's like, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm, a, he, I'm a Jew. How, oh, how could I? Those are, those, those, they had scales on their bodies. I'm not going to eat those things. And he says, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him in a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happens three times to Peter, right? He keeps falling back asleep. He has his vision. Lizards and, you know, like all these crazy birds, you know. And, and, and then the voice is like, kill and eat. And he's like, oh. And then, and then the, finally the Holy Spirit appears, talks to Peter. And he, he tells him, There's these men are going to come and look for you. I want you to go with them. I want you to go with them. So Peter, he walks, he, he goes to them, and these men, he's like, hey, there's this man named Cornelius, and he's looking for you. And then Peter's like, hey, I just heard from the Lord, and he said, I'm supposed to go with you guys, so let's go. And so they start walking, and they, they, they go to Cornelius' house. And he's thinking he's going to go and talk to you know, this one man about Cornelius and tell him maybe about Jesus. But who's there, right? Cornelius had his whole relatives. He gathered his whole relatives. He's like, I just imagine, he's like, hey, He's calling his family. He's like, hey, I had this vision, and this guy named Peter is supposed to come. Come on, come to my house. Everybody, come. He gets all of his, his army buddies that, that, that can, he can kind of get to, like, you know, believe in some way or shape or form, this God of the Hebrews. And he's like, hey, come on. There's this dude. He's going to come. And I, he's going to come. It's going to be like a revival service. He'll come. I want you to come and experience what this guy has to say to us. And he gathers his whole family. The Bible says his whole relatives and all of his friends and all of his guests were, were sitting there waiting for Peter. I can just imagine. 
Right? There's a moment that angel gave the gave this word to to Cornelius and then gave the word to Peter. I, I see the, I see this ex, ex, expectation build up in Cornelius. He's like, ah, oh, I'm going to encounter the, the the true God, right? And Peter walks through the door, and then Cornelius drops down. He starts worshiping Peter. He's like, oh, you know, because like he doesn't know any better, right? He doesn't know any better. And Peter's like, get up, man. I'm just a man just like you. You know, like, you know, you, you can't worship me. He's like, you know, but Peter in, in Cornelius, he's like, hey, right. If, if, if the angel of the Lord told me that you were coming, I'm just going to worship whatever comes through that door. Right. Because he, he has his heart. He wants to he wants to worship. He wants to encounter the living God. He has an expectation and he has a hunger to encounter the living God. And Peter comes to start worshiping Peter. And Peter's like, oh, no, don't you don't have to worship me. I'm, I'm, I'm just Peter, right? And Peter tells him, get up. I'm just a man like you. And Peter tells him, you know, being a Jew, I'm not supposed to associate with you Gentiles, right? You know, but, but I got a vision and, and, and God told me not to go and look at you know, any people unclean or uncommon, right? That what, that what God made clean, uncommon, so I'm here. And then Cornelius tells him, he's like, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in the, in the house at the ninth and, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And Cornelius, your prayers has been heard and your alms has been remembered before God. Send there to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in a house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. And, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in, your, in the presence of God. And he, he, he points to all of his relatives and his family. He's like, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have, to, you have been commanded by the Lord. He's like, we are here to hear what, what, what God has to say to us. Do you see the hunger in this man's heart? Do you see the expectation that he has to encounter the Lord? I see, what I see is expectation. What I see is hope and faith. He is expecting God to speak. Cornelius and his, his whole family is waiting. They're like, oh, we're just here. And, and we, we just want to hear what God has to say to us. Brothers and sisters, our hunger can move the heart of God into action. But not just hunger, but, but an expectancy. We have to expect God to answer. We have to expect God to speak to us. How many of us have an expectancy for God to speak? Even me, sometimes I pray, but I'm like, oh my God, thanks God for the time. And then I just kind of check out. Because in my heart, I don't really have an expectancy for God to speak. But you know what? God wants to speak to us all the time. We have to have an expectancy when it comes to God. When we read His Word. When we pray for His, for, when, for His truth to manifest in us. And as we're gathered here in, in this place, and you know, it's a retreat... Right, it's a special opportunity for two campuses to come together. We have to have an expectancy to truly encounter God. To speak to us and to move us. Not only was Cornelius hungry for God, 
He was expectant and he was ready to receive what God had for him. And he, and he wasn't just hungry for himself. He was hungry for his whole family. Do you guys understand that our hunger now, do you know that when me, you know, me, Mina and I were probably the ones that, that have been with New Philly the longest now, right? Because everybody had moved on. <laughs> We've been here, Mina's been here since 2006. I came in 2007, right? right? And back then, you know, do you guys know that the hunger and the expectation that we had back then, right? right the hunger that we had carries it on to us now. And do you know that the hunger and the expectation that we have here right now can carry us, carry this church into the future? That there will be people after you move back to Delaware or Nebraska or wherever your homes are, that 15 years, 10 years from now, that there will be people gathered at New Philly praying because of the hunger and the expectation that we had right now at this hour for God to come upon this church. Do you guys know that? I remember back then. We could never have imagined the type of church that we, that we had back then. But, but you know what? It was our hunger. We had a hunger. We're like, we wanted to experience God. And God recognized that. And he's saying, dig now. Dig up what I did back then. Start digging now because you know what? The digging that we did back then, we're experiencing now. And the digging that we do now is going to carry you guys into the future. Cornelius, he's, he's hungry, not just for himself. He's hungry for his family. He's hungry for his lineage. He's hungry for, for his children and his grandchildren and all these people to encounter and know the living God. So what happens? Peter starts to preach the gospel. And this is the amazing thing. When you read this, you, you're going to kind of understand that Cornelius' expectation and his hunger brings anticipation to God. God starts to anticipate. Holy Spirit starts to anticipate wanting to, to be poured out upon people. Right? So it says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who he fears Him and does not, what is right and acceptable to Him as for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of, of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourself know what happens throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And he, we are witnesses of all that he did in both the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Right, but God raised him on the third day and, and caused him to appear. And the Holy Spirit's like, come on, Peter. I want you to get to the part where you tell them the gospel. Right? Who, who's, who's ever watched WWF? You ever watched WWF? a long time ago? Right? There was this guy in the Ultimate Warrior. And they, they would have these tag team matches. Right? And you know tag team matches. One guy's outside and he, he's not wrestling. The guy's on the inside. He's wrestling. And usually they double team him and... And his partner's like all getting beat up over here. And the guy's outside. He can't do anything, right? He's just like, ah! And then he does that, you know, on the ropes. And he's just getting excited. He's like, come on, tag me in, right? That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Holy Spirit's like, Peter, come on. Get to the part where you preach the gospel. I want, I want, I want, I want, to, I want to hear you say the words, right? He's like, come on. Holy Spirit's doing this. 
He's like, Peter, and then Peter, he's, he's very eloquent. He's like, oh, you know, who, are, who, who ate and drank about it after the, he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. And then verse 43, he says the gospel, For him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then this is when Peter tags the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit said, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Do you guys see the anticipation of the Holy Spirit? He's like, ah, I can't wait till Peter says, because they have to know. What does it say in the Bible? That faith comes through what? Hearing. They have to hear the gospel. And Holy Spirit's like, ah, I can't wait till he says it. I want him to say the words. I want him to say the gospel. And I want them to hear it. And then right, as soon as they hear, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. That's the gospel. And Holy Spirit's like, boosh, breaks out. It's like, He got tagged in. He does all the, the crazy, rock bottom, all that. Everybody's laid out, right? <laughs> it, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked him, and, they, and they asked him to remain for some days. You guys see that the hunger and the expectation that Cornelius had got God excited. It got him excited, and he, he was anticipating. God's like, oh, well, why is Peter taking so long? Why is he saying the, all of these things? He just has to say the gospel. It just needs to be preached. They just need to hear. Right? As long, as far, as soon, and literally, as soon as they hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit breaks in. It's because the, the anticipation, the Holy Spirit, it, it was caused... By the faith of Cornelius. Cornelius wanting to, to, having a hunger and an expectation to encounter God made Holy Spirit be like, oh, I can't wait till I encounter Cornelius. He's my son. I can't wait till I, I like, I, I bless him. He's going to talk in all kinds of different languages, right? He's going to talk in all kinds of weird tongues. He, I'm going to be poured out all over him and his family and I'm going to bless him. Cornelius' hunger and expectation bring anticipation in God. God gets excited. He's expectant. He, he, he wants to encounter Him. Brothers and sisters, we need to be hungry and expectant for what God is going to do at this retreat. You know, we had a lot of obstacles getting to this place. And I'm amazed. There's a lot of you guys out here right now. I, I, you know? I, I, I would be a little nervous if it wasn't for the Lord who had orchestrated this encounter. Some of you guys might be, have been coming. You guys might be dissatisfied. It's not okay to remain in dissatisfaction. Because it, it will ultimately leave you to offense. But I want that dissatisfaction to lead to hunger and expectation. Some of you guys may have been asking the Lord all of these questions and you guys haven't been getting anything back. 
And God just might be like, hey, I don't want to answer your questions. I just want to encounter you. I want you to hunger for me. And, and, and the amazing thing about Cornelius is that his hunger and expectation created a doctrine that we all believe in that benefits us. You know why that we can believe in Jesus Christ and we have faith? Is because the gospel had gone to the Gentile. Peter goes to Jerusalem and uh, the circumcision party. It's not really a party, right? <laughs> Ain't nobody want a circumcision party. Circumcision party means, means Peter's like, oh, I can't believe you ate with those people, man. Don't you know you're a Jew? And he's like, hey, man, I went there and there was a homie named Cornelius. And he had his whole family there. And all I did was preach the gospel. And then, bam, Holy Spirit came and then they experienced the same thing that we did. It was amazing. He's telling them, and then what, what happens? He's like, if then God gave the same gifts to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. That's the circumcision party. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's for us. Right? This is the, the hunger and expectation and Cornelius brought the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, God did it, but he used one man and his hunger and his expectation. God uses our hunger. God uses our expectation. I'm going to close our time. And I'm just going to give you two things to kind of chew on. And then the first thing is when we're hungry for God, right? we have to be hungry for God and not the things of God. You know that we, we get tripped up by this all the time. We only go to God when we need something from Him. It's okay to ask God for things. I'm not telling you not to ask God for anything, right? If you need something, pray and ask Him. But what leads that supplication must, also, must be birthed from a place where you hunger after God and His presence. Him, right? You know, when you have a friend that only calls you when they need something... We all have those friends. I mean, if, if, if you don't have those friends, that, that means that's you, right? <laughs> right? If, you, if, if no one's calling you when they need something, it's because you're the one that's doing it, right? Ain't nobody want a friend like that. Nobody wants to just like hear you and like, hey, man, can I, can I, can I borrow some money? You know, <laughs> can, I, can I borrow your car or can you help me move? You know, like, but, but, but true relationship only happens through Relationship, right? When we encounter people, when we want to... And, and God, and he, he wants to bless us. He wants to pour out His blessings upon us. But you know where that starts is when we stop going to God for the things of God, but we go to God to encounter God. We have to, we have to be hungry for God. That means we put all of the other stuff in the back burner. You need, you need, you need something? You'll put it in the back burner right now. Mina and I, we're trying to, I'm trying to get to America, right? Mina's sister's getting married, right? And, and she wants me to officiate her wedding. And so we're, we're doing this special visa application. Last time I did a special visa application, I got rejected in five minutes. I interview, and he said, oh, sorry, sir, rejected. Bye. Right? And so this time, I'm a little nervous, right? I'm like, what happened? So we have all these documents. We hired a lawyer and doing all this thing. That I'm like, oh, God. I, but, but whenever I go to God, you know, you know what God says? Leave that, leave, leave that behind. 
Don't bring that to my when when we're talking. I already, you know, he, he tells me like, don't worry about that. Encounter me first. Watch my face. Seek my face, not my hand, right? And so our hunger can't be about the things of God. It doesn't mean that we don't ask Him for things. But it has to first be about God Himself. The woman who had the issue of blood, she didn't ask Jesus to heal her. Do you know that? She, she, she didn't go like, Jesus, can you heal me? I had this, you know? All she did was like, all I have to do is just touch this man. I, I, he doesn't even have to know. I just have to just encounter this man and everything is going to be okay. She wasn't, she, wasn't trying to, she wasn't trying to ask him or, 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 or get something from him. She just wanted him. She just wanted to encounter him. And, and that's the one thing about our hunger. Our hunger can't be about the things that God it has to be about encountering God. And number two is that you don't have to be perfect to have hunger for God. That's the other end of the coin. There's a lot of people like, ah, I can't have hunger for God. I have all these issues in my life. And you know, I'm not being soft on sin right now. Some people are like, oh, you're being soft on sin. I'm not. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus, I came for the what? For the sick. Right? It's the sick that need a doctor. Right? I came for the sinners. And so, so you don't have to be perfect to, to have a hunger for God. Sometimes it's out of it's out of your sickness that you 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 build up a hunger for God. Sometimes when you, when you're in that place of sin or whatever the issue is, God is reaching out to you all that more because He wants you to encounter Him. He wants you to say like, "Ah, oh God, I want to encounter you." Having sin in your life doesn't disqualify you from hungering after God. I want you to know that. You know what happened to me? I, you know when I. Is somebody was supposed to tell a testimony here? Yeah, well, uh, let me tell you a testimony, right? When I came to Korea, man, I was a broken man. Right? I was broken. I don't know if you ever met it. I used to be dark. When I was in prison, I played basketball a lot. I suck at basketball, but, I, you know, you play whatever past the time. I, I, I was really dark. I was tanned, right? And everybody would look at me funny. And I, I, mean, I was in this broken place. Right, and I was, I was still sinning. I was getting drunk every night by myself because soju is mad cheap in Korea, right? And, and I, was, I was smoking, and I was, I was just living. Just I was still going to church, though. I had this really scary aunt, <laughs> and she said, "You know that no kyoe guy there?" And I was like, "Nah." She lives in Indagwan. She's gangster, right? And she told me, and I had a cousin here. Right? He, he's one of the the founder founding members of Jerusalem Ministries with John Michael. And so in a, in, we were hanging out, and he, he brought me to church. And I remember I was going to church. And every time there was anything that was like spiritual, I would always feel like there was this barrier that separated me. And I just said, ah, I can approach God, but I can only approach Him this much because I have all this baggage with me. Right? And I, but I, remember, I remember when God told me, He's like, hey, I, w- I want you to, to tell your testimony in front of the church. At that time, nobody knew that I had gone to prison. Nobody knew anything. Right? Only, yeah, the only pe- people I told were my cousin and my small group. And miraculously, within one month, my small group all left Korea at the same time. <laughs> Monica, Sung, they all left. Right? My cousin, they, they all left. And so nobody at church knew my, my history. But God's like, I want you to tell your testimony. Right? I remember like, thinking, like, I don't want to do that. Right? These are like young Nice college-educated people, right? They don't want, you know. They don't want, I, I, you know. But then God, I remember, 
I was in the subway, and, and God told me, and, and then I was, like, I was wrestling with it, and I had missed my stop. I was supposed to get off at Sadang, and I ended up all the way towards like Mule. And I was like, oh no, I've just been like in my head for like, like 40 minutes. I was like, oh, I was mulling this over, and I was like, okay, God, if you, if you, if you let me, if, if, if the pastor says it's okay, then, I, then I'll do it, right? So I, I wrote it out, and I sent it to him, and he's like, well, why don't you tell your testimony? On Sunday, I went up and I told my testimony. I told about what I did. But then all I left it was like, I have, I have this hunger for more of God. Right? I just feel like there, there's more. And at that moment, it was this amazing, like, like it was like, it was like you know, when in, in the book of uh, Acts, where Paul encounters Jesus you know, on the road to Damascus and he goes blind. And then when uh, Ananias prays for him, the scales fall off his eyes, right? And he's able, it was like that. I just felt like just like... <laughs> All of just, just all of the shame and the condemnation of all the things that just break off me. Like, and God's like, I don't care. I don't care what you did, right? And I remember just like my life, like like everything changed like drastically. It was the power of God, and God's like, I don't care what you did. I don't care where you are right now. It doesn't matter. As long as you look to me and you put your hope and your faith in me, right, I can still use you. A lot of people, they feel like, oh, I can't have a hunger for God because I have this in my life. Some of you guys may not be, you know, as bad as me, but, you know, you guys have something that's keeping you from completely going to God and saying, God, I'm hungry for you. You have something that's keeping you from going and approaching him and saying, I need you. What I want to tell you today is that that doesn't matter. Jesus wants to encounter you. God wants to encounter you. He's, he has an anticipation of encountering you. And he wants to break in. Don't let the shame get in the way of you encountering God. I believe that at this retreat, God wants to move powerfully. I, I don't expect it to be the same as it was in the past. You know, in our retreats. I, that's not what I'm expecting but what I expect is for us to have the same kind of hunger. Because when there's a hunger, God will move. Holy Spirit will move. When, when, when we have an expectation, when we expect the Holy Spirit to come, He will come. You know, like when, when, we have, when we're expecting company, right? right? Like, you don't just, we, we only clean when we're expecting company, right? Right? Because why? Because we know that somebody's going to come, right? When, when like Somyang and Luna visit, we clean the house, right? Because, oh man, there's going to be a baby walking on this floor. It can't be this dirty, right? But in the same way, man, we have, we, we have to expect Holy Spirit to come. We have to have that mindset. That Holy Spirit's going to come today. He's going to come tonight. He's going to come tomorrow. He's going to break in. We have an expectation to encounter Him. I want to ask you today, are you expectant? If the, if the praise team can come up, I want us to kind of spend some time kind of getting our hearts ready. Right? I want us to get in, get in this place where we're starting to really expect. And, and you know what? The one thing is that if you don't feel the hunger, don't fake it. You don't have to fake it, right? Right? But then... you. You don't, you, but you don't have to. You, one thing about expectation is, is that you don't have to really feel it. It's like a mind thing, right? You, you, you just kind of expect it in your, in your head, right? 
And you might not be feeling it right now, but I want us to get into this place where we're starting to expect that we have an expectation for the Holy Spirit to come and break in at this retreat. Do you, do you believe that He wants to come today? Do you believe that He wants to encounter us today? Do you believe that He's a good, he's a good God? Do you believe that, that He is for us? Do you believe that He, he wants to encounter us? He, 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 he wants to encounter us. He wants to leave a mark on New Philly today. You know that? And, and I want you guys to take out any of the preconceived understanding of what this might look like. Right? Long time ago, we would have been like, oh, if this doesn't happen, Holy Spirit wasn't here. I want you to take all of that and toss it out the, out the window. And I want you guys to just have, or I want us to start from a place of hunger. We're, we're saying, Holy Spirit, I want to encounter you. I want to encounter you in a fresh and in a new way. I want you to come and touch me. I want you to come and, and speak to me. I want you to come and, 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 and pour out your spirit upon me. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm expectant. I know that you will come. I know that you will encounter us. I know that you will touch us. And, and, and as a group and as a church, let's start, let's start praying to, to God right now. This is, this is the, the pre-workout. This is, this is the stretching. You know, before you work out, you have to stretch, right? This is a stretching. Right? This is us saying, Holy Spirit, we want to encounter you. We, we, we want to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we're listening. We're like Cornelius, who's waiting for Peter and said, we're ready for anything that you have to say that the Lord wants to communicate to us. We know that you want to speak to us today. Speak to us. Well, let's spend some time. Let's pray. And if you guys have a fear of praying out loud, it's okay. But if you don't have a prayer, a fear of praying out loud, I want you guys to pray out loud. Speak out the words. Say, Holy Spirit, encounter us today. Cry out. Call out to Him. Ask Him to come and, 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 and touch our hearts today. Come on, let's pray.